but they did notice that, uh, like when she's sitting in the bed or if there's a mirror in front of her or whatever, that she's not wanting to acknowledge that her leg is gone at this point. Um, so we think that she's got some cognitive awareness of that, but she's not really acknowledged it. Uh, so she's improving. She's continuing to improve. The other thing that happened Sunday afternoon is, you know, uh, their first grandbaby was due in October. Well, the grandbaby is here. The grandbaby came early. The, her water broke, and they had to do a C-section. It's baby Everett. He is in um, IC, Nick, Nick, the Nick ICU. Uh, but last I heard on Sunday is baby was doing good, obviously struggling with the lungs a little bit, but all in all doing okay. Yes. Yeah. So uh, last I heard. Okay. So yeah. So so baby Everett. <laughs> so baby Everett. And uh, so yes. Yeah, so that's what we've heard. Um, yeah. So so not 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 bad reports by any means. But we are continuing to pray for them. And then James, mom told me Mama Betty is having some heart problems. Okay. 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 Okay, so we're thinking mama's getting ready to transition and we want it to be easy. We want it to be easy. Okay. So uh if you guys don't know, um man, well we know she'll be our prayer warrior from heaven. We know, James's mom, she knows each and every one of us. She prays for all of us by name. Um, she is a prayer warrior. She has, uh, she's had a lot of health issues for many years. Um, and now it looks like she's getting close to transitioning home. So our prayer, we're just going to agree with the family that she transitions very easily, uh, which means that the family needs to release her. And some of the family may struggle with that because mom is near and dear to all their hearts. So we'll just lift her up for sure. Um, huh? Everybody's good? Good. Okay. Okay, so everybody's actually good. So the brothers are all good. Because I know when you've been that caregiver for that long, that's what your life is, and you don't know how you're going to function outside of that. So, so good. So I'm glad to hear that. Thank you, James. I'm so pleased to hear that. So good, 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 good. Well, I'm a little choked up, but I'm good that she's going to get. Okay, well, Father. Yes, you got. I got two more. Okay, what else? My my brother. Well, we've been lifting him up in prayer okay, on Sundays. So, well, so we know about that he's going to have a kidney procedure. Yes. On both his kidneys. He has, uh, for those that don't come to Sunday night prayer, uh, his brother has a kidney stone on in each kidney, and each kidney stone is somewhere in the vicinity of just under an inch long when we don't know how wide. So they actually have to go up in through the urethra and all of that with a laser, and, and they have up. to break them up from the inside. So, yeah, that's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, well, they, uh, said it was, they said it wouldn't pass naturally. Yeah, no this way. is not his first round with kidney stones. He's had them before where they were able to bust them with the ultrasound machine. But they, these are A, too large, and B, his weight is too high. So they're having to go in internally and break them up. Uh, so, yeah. So, we're continuing, so we've just been lifting him up that that will be a very easy procedure for him. 
for sure. And then what other one do we have? Well, and then uh, there was a young man at the fire camp that was working for me. I had to send him home early. His his wife has has had a kidney transplant recently, and and uh, things are stable there. But there's something else going on, and she ended up in the hospital, so he had to go home early. Okay. Uh, he did. He, so so I prayed with him right there and then. Okay. But we sent him home, and uh, he texted me back right before I flew out here saying that she's stable, but they still don't know what's wrong. Okay, so, so we, we need, to... need uh, wisdom for the doctors. Okay. Do we know her first name? Uh, it's, on my, it's on my phone, and I, I left okay. my phone behind. Well, God knows who she is. Okay. So we'll lift all these people up in prayer, and then we'll do our confession and uh, get into the Word tonight. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We continue to thank you for Misty's miraculous recovery. Father, we know that she's still recovering. But, Father, we thank you that that recovery is already completed in Christ. And, Father, we thank you for the continued good reports that come forth, that that as she moves into this new flow of life, that, Father, she'll have a complete and total recovery. And, Father, we thank you for her new grandbaby, Baby Everett. We ask that you continue to strengthen that baby as he come, as uh, he's here now premature and early. But we thank you that you're strengthening his lungs and his heart and that all, that go, and all that is well with Baby Everett. Father, we thank you. Oh, Father, we thank you for Miss Betty. We thank you for all her prayers. We thank you for her commitment. We thank you for her dedication to you. And, and to the work of Christ through prayer and all of the good works that she's done in her life. Now, Father, it looks like it's clo- it looks like this is her time of transition into the eternity, into heaven. And Father, we rejoice with her as she as she uh, transitions. If that's her choice and that's her timing, we believe it is. And Father, the family's released her if she's ready. And so, Father, we just ask that this transition be very smooth, be very easy, that it not be long or drawn out or complicated in any way, shape, or form, that she'll simply just step over into into her eternal existence and that she'll be our prayer warrior from heaven. We ask that you comfort all of the family. Just comfort them with your peace that surpasses all understanding, that as they rejoice and celebrate her life, that, Father, all the good memories of all the good works just floods and fills their hearts. And, Father, we rebuke the spirit of grief. We command that spirit to not grab a hold of this family in any way, shape, or form. You will not grab a hold of them. You will not cause them any um, depression or any issues of grief. But, Father, it will be a rejoicing. And, and, Father, we look to the future when we get to, to spend our eternity with Miss Betty. And, Father, we just give you glory and honor for that. Father, we thank you for the healing power, of, for your healing power working in Robert on those kidney stones. Father, we thank you that your hand is upon him. And, Father, we lift up the, um, Michael's co-worker and his wife. Father, we don't know the fullness of the situation, but you do. And so, Father, we ask that you give the doctor supernatural wisdom, revelation, and knowledge to know exactly what is happening in her body and how to treat it. And, Father, we give you all the glory and honor for the testimony and the good report of the victory coming forth not many days hence. And, Father, as we approach your word tonight, we ask for a spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge in, uh, in the things of Christ and in your word. Father, think through mine and Michael's lips. Speak through our 
tongues, use our tongue as that, as the pen of the ready writer to declare your word. And Father, we give you all the glory, the honor. Father, we receive your word. We receive it by revelation of the Spirit upon the good ground of the heart. And Father, I thank you for answering that prayer just moments ago um, there in the office. And Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Glory to God. Amen and amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, Father. Well, let's do our confession tonight. Are we ready? All right. This This is my Bible. It is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the Spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's words are my words. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the word. Glory to God. Well, I talked last week. I said, you know, I said we want to get into Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, but in order to really get into these books, we have to understand um, what it means to crucify. And to crucify something means to stake it down. Um, especially crucifying the flesh means to stake down the flesh to where the flesh loses its power and that there is physical pain associated with um, crucifixion. We talked about circumcision. Uh, I'm not going to turn to these verses, but for your notes, for your personal study time, we looked at uh, we looked at the covenant, what's available to us in the covenant in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 13. And then we looked at, uh, I think it was uh, 22 and 24, or 24, 26, where we saw the covenants. But um, specifically, we looked at Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 14. I said I wouldn't go there, but let's go there. Because you got to see it. you got to see it. So we're just going to pull these verses just real quick. Genesis chapter 10, I mean chapter 17, 17. verse 10. Now again, this is old this is the old old testament. So here in the old testament, they're talking about physical circumcision. In the new testament, physical circumcision doesn't matter. What matters is circumcision of the heart or cutting out sinful things of the flesh out of our lives. But you have to understand the importance of covenant or circumcision when it comes in connection to covenant. So Genesis chapter 17, let's read verses 10 through 14. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, 
which is not of thy seed. Now, where it says bought, you need to underline and mark that because bought is very important. Because if you're not of Jewish lineage, if you're bought by a Jew, then you can be part of the Jewish covenant. And now we're not bought with physical money. We're bought with something much richer and much greater. We are bought with the blood of not just any king, but we are bought with the blood of the king. The king. The king of kings has bought us with his very own blood. So him buying us with his very own blood makes that's part of how we come into covenant with God. Let's keep reading. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Okay, so to be in covenant, to be to be able to obtain this covenant of God, in order to obtain the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there has to be a cut in the flesh. Now, Old Testament, they did a cut in the very intimate area of men. Does that mean that women don't have to have a circumcision of the heart? No, it doesn't mean that. It simply means that in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, they looked to the men. That was culture. They looked to the men. Um, And also, men have a very, uh, it's a whole lot easier to see if a man has been circumcised than it is to see if a woman has been circumcised. And in some cultures, believe it or not, there are some cultures that even today, they will circumcise even their girls. There are some cultures that do do that. Uh, and it's not pretty. They, they still do it very Old Testament style. But again, we're not, under the co- we're not under this physical covenant. But you have to understand what, this, what the representation of circumcision means. Let's read just a little bit more. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people, he that hath broken my covenant. So, part of the covenant is if there's no circumcision, then you're outside of the covenant. Okay? Now, again, I'm not telling you to go home and cut parts of your body off or pieces of your flesh off, anything like that. I'm telling you that, this, that the principle of cutting uh, something, cutting a very intimate part of you out... Uh, is that principle still applies. We're going to see that it applies to the cutting of the heart or the seat or the emotion of pleasure, things that separate. And, and what, what do we cut out? We cut out the things that we, that we find pleasurable that separate us from God. God's not opposed to us having a good time. God is not opposed to us sitting down and playing a board game or cards with our family and friends. God is not opposed to us going and watching a sporting event. God is not opposed to us playing sports. God's not opposed to us getting out here on the lake and enjoying the lake. God's not opposed to those things. What God is opposed to is us doing things that separate us from him, sinful things, uh, such as sex outside of marriage, inside the marriage, having doing sexual acts, that are uh, that are against the nature of the body, uh, that or, or uh, you know, so you can defile the, the body that way. Uh, 
getting drunk, getting high, gambling, getting into things of addiction. Basically, things that bring bondage is what God is against. All right. So that's what he's talking about when he talks about circumcising. Now, we go to Exodus chapter 4, and we see how important uh, this circumcision is. Exodus chapter 4, this is Moses, and this is a real problem in the body of Christ today. So many people will hear, will have a, a, you know, the Bible, Jesus said many are called, few are chosen. Many people will, will sense or feel the calling of God upon their life. And they'll jump out and they'll want to serve God, but they don't want to circumcise the sin out of their life. Um, and yet they want to represent God. And God is not okay with that. God said, if you don't circumcise the things that I tell you to circumcise, then you don't qualify to be my servant. So here in Exodus chapter 4, this is where God meets with Moses. He tells Moses, you're going to go before Pharaoh. You're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He's not going to respond, but you're going to keep doing this. And Moses is like, but I don't qualify. I don't speak eloquently. I have this stutter. Send somebody else. God get, He's arguing with God. God gets frustrated and says, am I not the God who created you? Listen, it doesn't matter what you see in yourself as an insufficiency as to why God can't use you. Uh, that the very thing that you think disqualifies you is the very thing that qualifies you to be used by God. I mean, seriously. When God called me, I looked at God and I said, God, um, first of all, uh, you, you understand that I have a severe learning disability, right? You understand that, I mean, yeah, I've learned how to cope with it, so it's probably better than it was. But you understand at one point in time, uh, my reading level was that of a second grader and my math level was that of, of a fourth-year college student. I, I've closed the gap some, but still, Lord, my spelling is atrocious. My ability to read quickly is bad. My ability to speak eloquently is bad. Was, Father, I use was. the wrong words. Hello? Was. Huh? Was. Was, right. <laughs> but I'm just, this was, these were the things that I was telling God. I said, Father God, I'm, I basically, because at that point, I didn't see myself the way I see you now. I see myself now. See, just use the wrong word. I did not see myself the way that I see myself now back there. And I used all the reasons why I, Father, I, I barely have a high school education. Barely. I'm not qualified. Then I asked God to send me to school to qualify me, and he said, no. Well, thanks, Jesus. Love you, too. Not why. Because it's not my ability. It's his ability in me and through me. Amen. And that was the point with Moses. So he finally convinces Moses, Moses, you're going to go do this despite who you are, who you see yourself as. So Moses gets up to go do it. He grabs his wife, who happens to be, come out of a pagan family. Uh, and so he grabs his, basically his pagan wife, who grabs her sons and their son, and goes off to go to Egypt. And in the, while they're in the inn along the way, they're basically kind of in the hotel along the way. Look at what happens right here in verse 24. And it came to pass, by the way, in the inn, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zephora, his wife, took 
a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. She got, listen, Zephora, the wife of Moses, got between Moses and God because God was ready to bring the punishment upon Moses because Moses was going to be the spokesperson for God and he wasn't, and he didn't even qualify because he had not circumcised his sons. He had not, he had not gotten into the covenant completely because he had not circumcised the sons. Many people try to be the spokesperson of God and won't circumcise their life. And Sephora, the wife, had to get between him and God. Husbands, aren't you glad you got a wife to get between you and God sometimes? Aren't you glad? And uh, get between him and God and, said, and, and took care of it, did the circumcision on her sons, and then said, now God, leave him. In other words, we're right now. And then she looked at Moses and said, really, you're going to leave me as a widow with kids simply because you don't want to deal with your flesh? Really? See, God takes his circumcision very seriously. Very, very seriously. Um, now, let's go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And verse 43. They've come out of Egypt, and God's setting up the rule for Passover. We're going to pick up right here in 43. We're going to go down to 48. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. So you, in order to take part in the Passover lamb, which is Jesus, there has to be a circumcision. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou, sh thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. So they come out of Egypt. God sets up this law of Passover. Now this is set up before the little Levitical law. Notice circumcision is set up before the Levitical law. Circumcision is not part of the law. Circumcision is prior to the law. And, and these two verses deal with how they had to prepare the lamb every year at Passover. But it's also a type and shadow of how Jesus had to be dealt with. Because remember, Jesus was prepped in one place at the whipping post. And not a single bone was broken upon him. So this is a type and shadow of Jesus being prepared for the crucifixion. But look at verse 48. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Notice it says, and when a stranger. In other words, somebody outside of the covenant. When somebody outside of the covenant, God makes provision that they don't even have to be bought now. He says a stranger. So we by, so by choice, if somebody wants to attach themselves to the Israelite nation, by choice, all they have to do is go through the circumcision, and then they can partake in the lamb. 
Well, how, how does that pertain to New Testament? Well, it pertains to New Testament because how do we come into the family, into the Israelite nation? Through being purchased by the blood of Jesus, accepting Jesus as our Savior. Now, once Jesus is our Savior, then we, have, then we need to start circumcising the things of the flesh that separate us from God out of our life. And that's how we take part of the Lamb. Now, go to Leviticus chapter 26. I just want to, I'm trying to show you the progression of circumcision and why circumcision is so important. Leviticus 26. I told you all this was your homework class over the week. I know a few of you read it. I don't know if everybody read it, but Deuteronomy 20, or Leviticus 26 is the sister chapter to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 is the blessings and the cursings. And this chapter starts off just like uh, Deuteronomy 28. It starts off with the blessings, and then it begins to talk about the cursings. Um, and it tends to talk about the cursings more on the national level than the individual level. But when you get over, so by the time we get to verse 41, it's been talking about the curse for quite a while. And the reason that they're under the curse, or, or the reason that he's talking about this, is because the Israelites were constantly murmuring, they were constantly complaining, they were constantly rebelling against God. This, so, so in Leviticus is the laying down of the law. So even in the law, he talks a little bit about circumcision. So we're going to pick up right here in verse 40. If they shall confess their iniquity. Talking about the nation. If anybody will, will bring their sin before God. And the iniquity of their fathers with the trespass which they trespassed against me. And that also they have walked contrary unto me. And that I also have walked contrary unto them. Basically, God said, you're going to walk against me. I am not going to bring you blessings. I'm going to let the, I'm going to let the curse come upon you. And have brought them unto the land of their enemies. In this situation, he's going to allow you to go in the land of your enemies. That's why sometimes we were like, gee, how's the curse working out for you? Because when you are going against God... What's going to happen in your life is the curse. But look at what God says. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity. Now check this out. Check this out. God said, number one, you've got to confess your sin. Number two, you've got to, uh, humble, you've got to humble your uncircumcised heart. You've got to humble your heart, the seat of your feelings and your emotions. In other words, you've got to say, the things that I've desired in the flesh and done in the flesh, Lord, they were wrong, and I'm sorry that I did them, and I'm turning away from them. That's called humbling. But then, in addition to that, he says, and they then accept the punishment. In other words, you can't go from living a dirty life to, okay, Lord, I repent, now I don't have to suffer consequences. He said, no. He said, you're still going to have to go through the consequences. Now, God, in his mercy and his kindness, can lessen the length of time of consequences. He can lessen the degree of consequences. But God even said, you are going to have to suffer for your sins. That's part of the consequences. But if you'll do that, if you'll accept the consequences... God does something amazing. 
If you'll humble your heart and accept your consequences, God does something amazing. Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. So this is God's mercy in action. This is God's goodness and this is God's mercy in action. Yes, we need to cut sin out of our life. But when we fail to do that, if we will humble our hearts, if we'll turn from our sin, if we'll accept our consequences, God says, okay, once you've done that, then I'm going to remember that you have a covenant with me, and then I'm going to bring you into the same blessings that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then I'm going to bring you into the same degree of riches. Then I'm going to bring you into the same degree of prosperity. Then I'm going to bring you into, bring you into the same provision of, of, of meeting your every need and your ever supply. I'm going to bring you in to the land uh, that flows with milk and honey. I'm going to bring you in to the land that Jesus came to give you. So, so the circumcision has a big part in you acquiring the promised land. Now, I want to go to Deuteronomy because I want to show you that even though this circumcision, I mean, we just saw that he said heart here, but we're, and this is in the Levitical law. So God is, what God did in the flesh in the Old Testament, he's trying to do in the spirit in the New Testament. And uh, we begin to see this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 6. Nope, Deuteronomy. verse 16. Oh, verse 16. Yep. I Are you at, sure? Yes, I am sure. <laughs> I, I, I started at, right 16 and I scratched out my one. Yeah. Let's, let's see. I didn't know it was supposed to rain. Hopefully nobody's okay. windows are down. It is 16. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Let's look at this amazing verse. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. And be no more stiff-necked. Now, can you, can you reach inside your chest and, and physically take a knife to your heart? No. He's not talking about that. Thankfully. He's talking about the, 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 your, when he says your heart, he's talking about the seat of your emotions, the seat of your desire, the seat of your thoughts. Because here, he's not talking about your spirit. Your spirit does not need to be circumcised. Your spirit is alive unto God. Your spirit has no wrong desires in it. When he says, who circumcised the heart, he's talking about the center place of your emotions, the center of your thoughts, the center of your desires. If your desires, thoughts, and emotions are for things that separate you from God, then you need to cut, you need to circumcise those things out of your life. That's what you need to, if, you're, if your heart is to rebel against God, then you need to cut that rebellion out of your life. The sister verse to this is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy and chapter 30. And this time 30. it is verse 6. And this time it is verse 6. All right. And the now check this one out. Because you're going to see something that sounds an awful lot like Jesus here. All right. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the, and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. What did Jesus say the first commandment was? 
To love the Lord your God. To love the Lord your God with, with all, all your, your heart, heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Amen. How do you do that? By the circumcision of the heart. Well, but pastor, this says that God will circumcise the heart. Yes, God will place a desire in your soul to not sin, but you can override that. Amen. You can override that. And the more you override it, the, the, the easier it will be to do those sins. So if you're going, well, I don't, have that, I don't have that sense that these things are wrong, the reason that's the situation is because you've overridden it so long that you're no longer sensitive to the cut that God put in your heart. And now you're going to have to work just as hard to get past it. This is why it's this cut that comes at the new birth. We've seen this. We've seen people get born again, especially if you can get them born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. You'll see them. They'll go home, and they'll empty out all the pornography. They'll empty out all the sex stuff. They'll empty out the booze. They'll empty out the drugs. They'll empty out all the R-rated stuff. They'll empty out all the... Why? They don't know what the scripture says, but they know what's in their heart. And they go, I don't, they'll look at it and go, that's not God, throw it away. That's not God, throw it away. That's not God, throw it away. What is that? That's that circumcision of the heart. But you can override that if you so choose to. All right. So I want to look at one more chapter, uh, Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Because we've got to see something here about circumcision that makes a big difference in how you view this. And the reason we have to go through this, now when we get over into Galatians, you know, we'll see a little something about it in chapter 2, but then we don't see anything about it for a couple of chapters. But really, the entire book of Galatians is dealing with circumcision versus uncircumcision. That's what the whole book is about. So, Joshua chapter 5, now remember, at this point, Moses is dead. Uh, all of the Israelites that were supposed to have entered into the promised land have died because they were rebellious, because they were stiff-necked, because they refused to circumcise their hearts. They died in the wilderness. And Joshua with Caleb, remember, those were two of the ten spies that went and spied out the land. And Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we can do it, we can do it, we can take the land. And the rest of the spies said, oh, no, we can't go in. We're grasshoppers in their sight. They're going to destroy us. But Joshua and Caleb said, oh, no, God said we can take the land. We can take the land. See, Joshua and Caleb had faith in God, and they kept that faith for 40 years while they're wandering in the dark wilderness. So Moses, so here Joshua, he's serving Moses with everything he's got, just trying to get into that promised land. He's serving Moses. They all die off, including Moses. And now, jo and now the Lord has said, Joshua, get up, lead the people into the promised land. And Joshua said, now, Lord, now we get to go. And the Lord says, yep, now you get to go. Be strong, be courageous, you get to go. So the... The Lord dries up the River Jordan, and, and uh, the people in the land freak out because for 40 years they've heard about how God is with the Israelites, and when the Israelites come in, you're desolated. You're done because God's with them. 
So God dries up the river, and they are, I mean, they're freaking out because they know the Israelites are coming. But God tells Joshua to do something before they can go. Let's pick up right here in Joshua uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of the Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, until we were passed over, that their heart melted. In other words, they lost hope. They had no hope because here come the Israelites. Neither was their spirit their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. These people knew they were whipped before the Israelites even showed up. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Look at that. He said, Joshua, circumcise them men a second time. A second time. <laughs> My men are going, oh, ah, mm-mm. no, once was enough, Lord Jesus. But look at why he said do it a second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. That's how many, that's how many foreskins there were. They called it the hill of foreskins. How many Israelites were there? Thousands. Thou- hundreds and, thousands. and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands. That's a, that's a lot of foreskins. And this is the cause thy, or why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. So those that were eight days old when they came out of Egypt had already been circumcised. That's why some of them had to be circumcised a second time is because there were some, you know, the eight-year-olds to the 12-year-olds, they, or the, the eight days to 12, they had been circumcised. Uh, but nobody had been circumcised from the time they entered to the desert for 40 years. So you've got people that are in their 50s, maybe even their 60s, but the majority of them have not been circumcised even once. <laughs> the poor guys. The guys are making all kinds of noises in here. Bless uh. their hearts. I understand. I feel for you. I do. <laughs> but, but here's why. This was one of the areas that the Israelites were in disobedience to God. They stopped circumcising their children while they were in the desert. They stopped. That's another form of rebellion. Now, we read in order for them to take part of the Passover, what did they have to do? They had to be circumcised. And God set up the Passover yearly at the beginning of the year. So for 40 years, they're observing Passover But their children are not circumcised. Their children are taking part in the lamb. I wonder why they're dying in the wilderness. That is extreme rebellion. All right, verse 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. 
unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land, which the Lord sware unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Let me ask you this. What is the, land, what is the promised land that flows with milk and honey? Heaven. Most people think that it's heaven. And there's no doubt that heaven is included in the promised land. But that's not the promised land. That's not the promised land. What did Jesus say in John 10.10? 10? He said, The thief cometh not but except to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We are living in the time of the promised land. The promised land is living on this earth in prosperity and the prosperity and provision of God in your God-given authority. Because remember, remember Adam and Eve had, Adam and Eve lived in the garden of milk and honey. God's garden, the promised land of milk and honey, is living on the earth today with all of God's provision, with all of God's power through Jesus Christ, living the abundant life, and ruling as kings and queens in this present life. That this, this land, the promised land that they, were prom, that they were trying to get over into, was a land that they would, roll, that they would rule over in the natural in this natural world, it was a land that the Israelites were to live in, were to rule in, and were to be provided by God. Because remember, when Jesus comes back at the end of the seven years of tribulation, remember what we do? We live on the earth for a millennium, ruling with him at his side. God is not going to let, God is, we don't have to wait to get up into the great by and by. Why? Because the great by and by is here on the earth. Because at the end of the millennial reign, Satan's going to come out. He's going to rule for a little while. Then God's going to put him, all of his dominions, and all of his followers in the pits of hell. And then God is going to establish the new heaven on the earth. But we don't have to wait that long. We can have it now in and through Christ. We can have it now. So he tells them, before you can go into the promised land, you have to circumcise. Before you can get the promises of the abundant life here on the earth, you are going to have to circumcise, cut out the things that separate you from God. Let's read just a little bit more so you can see it. And the children whom he raised up in their stead... Them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole, till they healed up. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Which is the place that, it's, it's the, um, um, the rolling. Gilgal is the place of the rolling. It's the rolling back of the approach of Egypt. And Gilgal was the first place the Israelites camped when they passed over the Jordan. Correct. 
And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month, that even in that at even in at, at evening in the plains of Jericho. All right. So this is the first place. So before they could enter the promised land, they had to go through circumcision. So now let's go to Galatians chapter two. Yay. Now we're going to go to Galatians chapter 2. Why did we have to go through all of that? Because you need to understand when you read in the New Testament, especially in this chapter or in this book, God talks to, to God only speaks to two people in the Bible. He speaks to those uh, that are circumcised or in the covenant and those that are uncircumcised or those outside of covenant. Yes, ma'am, Miss Stacy. That's what it says. That's what it says, yeah. That's what it says. I wasn't there. I don't know, but that's what it says. <laughs> yeah. 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 I would think so, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we saw last week that even Abraham at 99 circumcised himself. So I, yeah. on, that, on that note, I was kind of wondering, because Moses was, grew up as an Egyptian, but he was in his Jewish house at the age of eight days. Oh, was he? Okay. Yes. I was wondering. I was like, yes. did he get circumcised? Yeah. Yeah. He would have been circumcised in his Jewish house. Because remember, they kept him until they couldn't hide him anymore. They can hide him at eight days. So, yeah, they would have been following that. And, and we know that they were following it because it says that they stopped following it once they were in the wilderness. So, yeah. So, all right. So, Galatians chapter 2. Paul is in Galatia, which is up in the northern region, and Jerusalem is down in the southern region. So he's not talking about, he, when he talks about this being uh, 14 years since Jerusalem, he's in the church of Galatia talking to them about a situation that he encountered while he was in Jerusalem. All right. Now, and when I said that, remember, uh, the circumcision are the, are the Jews, the Israelites, those that are following God, those that are in covenant with God. The uncircumcised are outside of the covenant. We, we often refer to these as Gentiles, as uh, heathens, as pagans, those outside of the covenant. So... And that's important as we get down through this, uh, for, through chapter 2. There's not a whole lot we need to say in chapter 2. It's pretty self-explanatory, but we're going to explain a few things. All right. Chapter 2. Then, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Okay, notice in verse 2 he says, I went up by revelation. In other words, Paul did not go down to Jerusalem. He said up, but he really from our map we understand he went down. He did not go down to Jerusalem uh, because somebody asked him to. He did not go to uh, Jerusalem because um, he just thought, well, I just want to go to Jerusalem. And now remember, Jerusalem was where Jerusalem was the center of where Christianity was birthed out of. And it was in Jerusalem 
that Paul, when he operated at Saul, that's where he was going when he was persecuting the church. So it had been 14 years from the time of his conversion to the time that he went down to the churches where he had priorly been persecuting them. So Paul didn't just get born again and go right back to the people that he was persecuting. He waited until God gave him that revelation. You see that revelation in Acts chapter 4, I believe it is. Acts chapter 4, they were praying, they were seeking the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost prompted those that were in prayer to send Paul and Titus to Jerusalem. And that's why he said it was by revelation. In other words, God dropped it in their heart. Many, many, many people go and do things because they think it's a good idea. And then they wonder why it doesn't work out for them. No, everything that we do for God, we need to do it by revelation. We need to know that God dropped it in our heart to go do it. Because if God is in it, it'll succeed. If it's all man's plans, it will fail. So he went down by revelation, and he knew that he was going, notice it says to communicate or to speak onto them the gospel. So he was going down. He knew why he was going. He was going to preach the good news of Christ among the Gentiles. He said to communicate unto them the gospel which I preached to the Gentiles. So the same gospel that he was preaching to the Gentiles, he went down to Jerusalem to preach. To the Jews. To the Jews. And he said, and privately to them which were of reputation, least by any means I should run um, or had run in vain. And here's what Paul said. Paul said, the Lord allowed me to go down to the Jews that I once was in fellowship with because if I, if I work to save all these Gentiles and I do nothing to save the people that I once had fellowship, then my run is in vain. My run is in vain. And, the, and Paul, so Paul went down to Jerusalem and he preached publicly to the Jews. But, there were, but remember who Paul was when he operated at Saul. Remember, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was in the high circles of the Pharisees. He had relationship with the high Pharisees. Now, it would cost these high society Pharisees, it would cost them a lot for it to get out that they were meeting with whom they presumed to be the traitor Saul. So what he would do while he was in Jerusalem, the people that had been watching Saul's life from a distance would meet with him privately and privately so not to cost them everything. He would preach Christ to them one-on-one -on -one in secret. One-on-one -on -one in secret. Um, you remember, remember Zach, uh, 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 Zacchaeus, who was it? that met with Jesus privately. Yeah, it was Zacharias. Remember the Pharisee Zacharias would meet with, wasn't it Zacharias? Who is it? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Thank you. Right. Thank Nicodemus. you. I was, trying to, I was like, that's not the right one. Remember he'd meet with Nicodemus privately, Jesus would? Well, Paul was doing the same thing. Paul was meeting with the Pharisees that actually wanted to know the truth privately. What was he doing? He was giving them the opportunity to come into Christ. See, there's people that you're going to come into contact with that are going to want to 
know about your Christ, but they're not going to want to know about it in the open because they're going to have to contend with their friends and their family. They're going to have to contend with their circle. So there's some people that you're going to only be able to share Christ with them privately. But then there's other people that you're going to share with them very publicly. I think of Billy Graham in this situation. There were people um, of great renown that would often sit down with Billy Graham privately. Uh, I know for a fact he sat down uh, with Muhammad. Uh, you know, the boxer, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Ali. He sat down with him privately, and he shared the gospel with him. Now, did Muhammad Ali get saved? Not to my knowledge. As far as I know, he was a Muslim all the days of his life. But he was given the private one-on-one with a gifted, anointed man of God. And, that to, and, and God sent Billy Graham to go speak with him privately. There were many people out of Hollywood that have sat down. I've watched several of several uh, uh, different little things where Billy Graham was like on the Tonight Show and other shows, and, you know, they'd have him out, and he'd talk to them. Um, but how much, you know, he also talked to them privately. Um, and so that's what Paul said. He said, yep, I was there to preach to the Jews like I preached to the Gentiles, but I was also there to preach publicly and privately. Now let's keep going just a few, just a little bit more. All right. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. All right. So, so Titus, he's not a he's not a Jew, so he wasn't compelled to be circumcised. But he's talking about circumcised in the flesh. So you have to remember in this day, remember Jesus had just done away with the Levitical law. Jesus had just done away with it at the cross. So there were many, many Jews that were trying to bring the new born-again Gentiles into Jewish law. How much do you know when you come into Christ, there will be people that will try to bring you under, the, under uh, Levitical law? They'll tell you, well, you're not allowed to eat pork. They'll tell you, you can't eat this and you can't eat that. Right. You have to, if you're going to, you're the, under the law, you're not allowed to eat the blood. And therefore, if your, if your steak's not well, 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 well done, uh, then you're in sin. Uh, you're going to, there's people that will say, well, you're not keeping the Sabbath. There's an entire, there's an entire denomination out there about the Sabbath. Well, if you don't, you know, shut down at this time, well, Jesus is our Sabbath. So Paul was telling them in this book, he was telling them in this letter, he was telling them it's not about physical circumcision. Don't let these people take you under or bring you in under the Levitical law. He's not doing away with circumcision of the heart. He's doing, he's saying we're no longer under that law of the circumcision of the physical flesh we're no longer under that and so, but what was happening is he had titus with him and they're in this church and this is what happened down in jerusalem they were down in this church in jerusalem titus a greek who's now born again in 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 jesus 
who's now joined what they consider the Jewish faith through Christ. He's down in this church, and the Jews are trying to convince them that they have to be physically circumcised. In other words, the Jews were trying to bring them back into physical bondage. Now, how does this relate to the New Testament? Because there are a lot of people that will try to bring you back into bondage of the law. We don't get in the bondage. But at the same time, Satan will also try to bring you back into the bondage of the things that Christ has set you free from. And he's, a, and he's answering both situations in this letter. That's what this whole letter is about. All right. So he says, he says uh, Titus, who's a Greek, was not, he said he was compelled to be circumcised. In other words, um, yeah, he says, but neither, in other words, Titus, they were trying to compel him, but, but Titus knew in his heart that there was no need for him to be physically circumcised. Let's read here. All right, verse 4. And because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now notice he said false brethren. There are people out there that will claim to be born-again Christians that are not. They're simply saying that they're Christians so that they can bring you into bondage. There'll be Christians that'll say, oh, it's okay to drink. Now listen, and this is a big thing for me, because a lot of people say, well, you can drink as long as you don't get drunk. If you'll study the word, you'll find out that you're not supposed to drink, period. Now here's the question. Here's the situation. If, I have, if, we, have somebody in, if we have somebody come into our church who has broken free from the spirit of, from the spirit of addiction of alcohol, and we stand in our pulpit and we say, oh, you can drink a little as long as you, get, as long as you don't get drunk. What did we just do? We just opened the door for them to go back into bondage. Yep. That becomes that stumbling block. No, 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 no. Jesus sets you free from that. But there will be people that will come into the church that will go, well, it's okay for you to drink a little. It's okay for you to smoke a little. It's okay for you to, it's okay for you to have sex with somebody as long as you're married to them in your heart. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. No, you just because somebody waves the flag, just because somebody wears a cross around their neck, does not mean that they're a born-again believer. Nope. It does not mean that. Listen, the cross, believe it or not, the cross was a tool of Satan to, to, uh, to destroy Jesus Christ. The cross was the Romans' corporal punishment for the criminal, the cross is the equivalent of our electric chair or lethal eject- injection today. You really got to stop and think. If you know that, so it's really. I was sitting at the Waffle King one day, and it's just. I. I started to get up and go asking. I really did. There was a guy sitting there. He was big like my stepdad, but I didn't care. But I almost did. I almost went up and asked him because he had a cross, a big cross hanging down off of his chest, but he also had a big uh, skull and crossbones, the mark of death. 
And I almost went to him and said, now, wait a minute. Your cross says that you belong to Christ, but that skull says you belong to Satan. Which one is it? Beware of false brethren. Look at the fruit of their life. Look at how Paul, and look at this. He said, he said, and here's what, here's how this all, and he said, and this is how this happened. He said there were false brethren. He said these were law-abiding Jews that came in and said, oh, we're disciples of Jesus. And they came in. Notice it says they were brought in unawares. In other words, one of the truly born-again believers in the church ran up on these Jews, and these Jews said, oh, yeah, Jesus, we believe in Jesus. They said, oh, man, come to our church. So here they come being brought into the church. Now, the little Christian, he didn't know any better. They had the right talk. He had the, they had the right talk. He said, but they came in privately. In other words, they came in secretly. They came in purposely de- deceiving to spy out our liberty or our freedom which we have in Christ Jesus. They came in to find out why these new born-again believers weren't following the Jewish law. And they came in for the purpose of trying to pull them in to the old Levitical law. He noticed because he said that they might bring us into bondage. Bring us into bondage. So you have to understand, and we'll see this later in the book of Galatians, the law was not... Here's why the law was given. The law was given so that man could figure out what was wrong about their behavior and so that they could figure out that they had need of a Savior. Because the flesh with no law will go into, a, go into deep, 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 filthy, evil sin because Satan is the, is the ruler of the flesh unless you bring your flesh under the rule of the Spirit. So the law was brought, so Jesus gave Moses the law so that the people would know when they sinned. That's what it was all about. All right, let's keep going just a little bit more. <laughs> what are we on, verse 5? Yep. Okay. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. I told you, Paul's a little sarcastic. He said, no, we didn't. He said, yeah, we gave him place. No, we didn't. Listen, when you figure out somebody's motives, don't give them no time. And Paul was quick to figure it out. No, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepted no man's person, which means he's not going to play it the way they want it played. He's going to play it his way. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. So here these guys came in. In other words, these, the, whoever this was that was brought in, whoever these false brothers were brought in, these were some of the who's who's of the Jews. These who who's, this group, this group of Pharisees, this group of whoever they were, they seemed to be the high society people. They seemed to be a who who. And Paul looked at him and said, it don't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what their status is. He said, because for God, there ain't no difference between the beggar over here and the high rich ruler over here. With God, we're all, pe- we're all his people. Amen. It makes no difference. In other words, he said, God's no respecter of persons and neither am I. I don't care what kind of status they are. I don't care. Listen, 
I'm telling you right now, people with money will come into the church and they will try to take your church over because they have money. No. You can take your money and go. You're not bringing your sin into our church. No, you can take... Now, does that, but there's also people that have money that love God and will take care of the kingdom. There's a gifting for people to be financiers of the kingdom. And those are the people that you want because they're going to finance the work and they're not going to put weight and bondage on you. Glory to God. All right. But contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. Now that sounds like a bunch of double talk and what have you, but basically all that Peter was, all that Paul was saying is God has gifted me and anointed me with an ability to preach Christ to those that are outside of the covenant. And God, just like God has gifted and anointed and placed an ability in Peter to preach to those that are inside the covenant. Here when he says the uncircumcised, he's talking about those outside of the covenant. We refer to them as Gentiles or heathens. When he talks about the circumcision, he's talking about the Jews, those that are in covenant by bloodline. That's the difference here. He's not talking about physical circumcised versus unphysical circumcised. He's talking about those that have covenant and those outside of covenant. You know, it's kind of like this. Pastor Mike and I, we are gifted, or we could say it this way, God has wrought effectively in us to preach to the people in the church. However, there's other people that God has worked effectively in to preach to the lost on the streets. It's a different anointing. It's a different flow. That's basically what Paul was saying here. All right, verse and he said that it was noticeable. They noted the difference. And verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas... The right hands of fellowship. You want the right hands of fellowship. You don't want the left hands of fellowship. The left hands of fellowship is when they say, uh, you operate in things we don't understand and we don't know and you need to leave. Right hand of fellowship is they received them well. That we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So here he comes. They come down. So here him and Titus come down to Jerusalem. He gets around the apostles and the apostles figure out you know what? You guys have an ability to preach to the Gentiles, the heathens, the uncircumcised. So y'all go do y'all go preach to them here in Jerusalem, and we're going to stay here and we're going to continue to preach to the Jews. In other words, they figured out that Paul, Barnabas, and Titus had a different assignment. They're all working for the same purpose, but they're working at, for, again, toward other people. We shouldn't be, we, we don't need to get up in a fight with one another in the body of Christ. We need to recognize each other's assignment and let them go do it. They weren't, in other words, uh, Paul, Barnabas, and Titus weren't stealing the Jews out of um, James's and Cephas's and John's church. They weren't church stealing. They were there for a different purpose. So let's keep going. 
Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. They just said, go do your work. By the way, while you do it, don't forget to help the poor. He said, we already do that. Not a big deal. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. Check this out. Paul, Paul, who once was Saul, stood up to Peter, who preached the first sermon in the New Testament church. Here's another misstep of Peter that we did not address Sunday. Peter was making some mistakes, and Paul called him out. It's right and proper for brethren to brethren to call each other out for their missteps. Not to hurt them, but to help them. Not to hurt them, but to help them. Not to gossip about them, but to help them. And so he's telling this church in Galatia, he says, look, because he was correcting them. He said, look, he said, I'm not just correcting you. I don't hold nothing. Against. He said, I don't take anybody as a respecter of persons. He said, good gravy. I went and I called Peter out to his face. Called Peter out to his face. Verse 12. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. In other words, they were deceitful. Mm-hmm. Insomuch that Barnabas was so carried away with their dissimulation. Barnabas got to watching what Peter was doing, and he knew Peter's reputation, that he got over there with Peter, and he went over there and he got circumcised and all that with the Jews. He became, he became like the Jews. He got, he got deceived by Peter's actions. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of, gospel, of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. So basically he said this. He said basically the Gentiles are sinner by nature. But us Jews are not. That's not our nature. Because they're right. Why is it not the nature of the Jews to be sinners? Because they're raised to follow the law. The Gentiles, however, are raised to sin. That's the difference. So basically he's calling Peter out for, for having a double standard depending on who he's around. Know any Christians that have that problem? Let's read just a little bit more, and, we'll, right. and then I'll back up and kind of clarify a few things. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, but if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead unto the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Okay, so basically what was happening with Peter? You have to remember, Peter was there when Jesus was taken. Peter was there when he was in the jewelry, and they spit on him, and they hit him, and they punched him, and they pulled out his beard by the hand by their by their by handfuls. He was there when the rod of when the crown of thorns was beat into his head with rods. He was there when Jesus was crucified, when he was whipped at the whipping post beyond measure. He was there. Uh, when they took him before Pilate and the crowds called for, Bar- for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus, he was there when Jesus was crucified at the cross. And he saw firsthand the, heat, the, the seething hate that the Jews had for Jesus. And therefore, because that was in, just ingrained in his mind, Paul, Peter had a fear of the Jews. He had a fear of um, getting them upset and angry with him. He had a fear of, even though he was sent to preach to them, he had a fear of the status of Jews. And so when these Jews would come around of high status, he didn't have a problem speaking to the everyday class of Jews. He had a problem speaking to the high-ranking Pharisees and Sadducees of the Jewish sect. That's what he had a problem with. And so while he would speak to the lower Jews, he would, uh, he would tell them, listen, we have freedom in Christ. And he would, he would teach the Jews and he would teach the Gentiles and he would sit down and he would eat the meals that the Gentiles would eat because he, he knew that we have this freedom in Christ that as long as we bless it, sanctify it, we're okay with God because we have this new freedom. He would do all of these things. He understood all of this. And so he would, when he was there with the Gentiles, he, now he wouldn't sin. He wouldn't get into sin. But the things that the Jews were not allowed to do because of the law, Peter, because of his freedom in Christ, and he was no longer under the Levitical law because he's now in Christ, he would do them, such as not keep the Sabbath, such as eat the forbidden food under the law, such as uh, he may sit down without washing his hands, specifically according to the Jewish law. But when the Jews would come in, he didn't compel them to, he, he said, you don't have to be circumcised any longer. But when the big high society Jews would come in, he would begin to act like those Jews because he didn't want those Jews to get angry with him and come against him. And he, to the point that he would even begin to compel Gentiles to come under the law, which is wrong. Because we don't go under the law. That's not, that's not what this is about. Why? Because what the law did is the law made people aware of their sin. And when you're aware of your sin and you have a hard time getting away from that sin, it brings you into bondage. And so Peter went, so Paul comes into Peter and he says, Peter, 
right, he looks Peter in the face in front of people, and he said, Peter, your wishy-washy back and forth has caused not, not only the people you're around to go back into bondage, but it's even caused Barnabas, my help in the ministry, to go. Basically, he said, Peter, you're causing disruptions in my ministry because of your flakiness, because of your fear. You're causing problems. And, uh, and, and that's what sin will do. When somebody, when a, well, how does this apply to us today? Because when you come into the church and you are all, when you come to the church and you can keep the profanity out of your mouth, when you come into the church and you can speak scripture, when you come into the church and you speak right, when you come to the church and you put on your Christian face, and then you go out into the world and you put on your sinner's face, you're a hypocrite and you're causing problems for our church. Because you're telling, the church, you're telling the world that we're a church that approves of the way you behave out there because they don't know that the person you are out there is not the person that you are in here. And you're causing problems. Then the other problem is, is if you do this long enough, eventually you bring your worldly filth into the church and you spread your filth out through the congregation and now you're causing a problem for that minister in their family. And now that minister has to go in and clean the filth out of the church again. And Peter said, Paul said to Peter, Peter, you're causing me problems. You're causing me issues. I'm down here trying to do what God called me to do, and you're causing me problems. And this is what he said to him. He said, look at verse 14. He said, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. Paul said, when I saw what they were doing, I called them out. And I said to Peter, he, he didn't only call Peter out. He, notice it says, he said, I called Peter out before them all. He openly corrected Peter. He said, if you, being a Jew, because Peter was Jewish, he said, if you are a Jew, liveth after the manner of the Gentiles. In other words, Peter, if you're no longer living according to every part of the law, Peter, if you're living like the Gentiles, you're not washing your hands. You're not following the Sabbath. You're not cleaning this. You're not cleaning that. If you're not doing your legal obligations, Peter, if you're no longer doing your sacrifices, listen, if you do one part of the law, you have to do the entire law. We're going to see this in here. So if you want to say, well, I can't eat that meat because under Jewish law, they're not allowed to eat it. Well, I have to go and I have to do this. I mean, it's good hygiene to wash your hands before a meal, but if you're doing it because of religious purposes, you're following the law, which means you've got to go do your sacrifices. So he said, Peter, he said, how is it that you're a Jew and you're living after the manner of Gentiles and that you're not doing as the, Jew, as the Jews do, then why are you compelling the Gentiles to live as the Jews? Because that's what he was doing when the Jews came around because he didn't want to upset the Jews. And it was causing his people to be confused. And then he went on and he said, Who, Jews by nature, and not sinners of Gentiles. So he said, listen. He said, the Jews do it by nature because that's what they were raised to do. And the Gentiles do what they do because that's what they were raised to do. 
you know, he said, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Listen, your works will not save you. Your works will not save you. But, Pastor, you're on us all the time about you got to cut this out. you got to cut that out. you got to get this right. you got to do that right. Not, I, I'm not telling you you got to do those things to become justified. There is nothing you can do to make yourself justified before God except receive Jesus Christ. But the whole reason that they would do the law, the whole purpose of the law, was so that they could stand before the Father God justified. But no, but 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 almost very few men were actually able to physically do that. Why? Because of the nature of the flesh. Because of the nature of the flesh. So he said. He said, "Listen." He said, "It's not the doing of the law that makes you justified, but by faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have beloved in Jesus Christ, believed in Jesus Christ." that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by works of the law. But by works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He said, Peter, you're giving them the idea that their works is going to get them right before God, and that's a lie. The work isn't the matter. It's It's not the work that makes you justified. And that's what these people were coming in. People will tell you, oh, if you want to get close to God, don't eat any unclean meat. If you want to get close to God, make sure you keep your Sabbath. Friday afternoon at sunset, no more work till Saturday evening. Don't travel. You can't travel a Sabbath. Now, they'll travel the Sabbath. They'll, they'll travel more than a mile to go to their church. So they're not keeping their Sabbath. But they've got to keep your Sabbath. Now, now some, some false ministers and prophets will say, but, you know, the Ten Commandments is part of the law. Does that mean we don't have to follow the Ten Commandments and that we shouldn't follow the Ten Commandments? No. No. In fact, he, he addresses it in the very next verse. He says, if, if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. That is not what... No. What he, they're saying. Yes. They're not saying that the law is do, done away with. And you can act any old way you want to, because if that's the case, then Jesus is the minister of sin. They're just saying you're not justified by that. That's right. He said, for if I build again the things which I destroyed. Listen, if you go to your house and you go, you know what? I'm just in a mood and I'm going to destroy my shed because I'm in a mood. There's nothing wrong with my shed. My shed is a beautiful shed. It's a perfect shed, but I'm just in a mood. I want to break something, so I'm just going to destroy it. And then I turn around and I rebuild it. How much are people going to look at you like you're crazy? They're going to look at you like there is something wrong with you. So that's what he said. That's basically what he said here. He said, if I build again the things which I destroyed, what was destroyed? The bondage of sin. The bondage of sin is destroyed in you. So why would you go back into sin when that bondage has been broken? Exactly. Why would you do that? He said, he said, in fact, he said, if I do that, then I make myself a transgressor. Listen, once Jesus sets you free from sin, don't go back into sin because it's you of your own accord. You can't even blame the devil for that. You can't because you willingly chose to be the transgressor. Yep. He says, for though the, or through the law... I am dead to the law. What is the law that you're dead to? 
the law of Jesus Christ. He said, because I, because of, because I am in Christ, I am no longer bound to the fullness of the law. In other words, I'm no longer bound to the sacrifices. I'm no longer bound to the legal steps of the law. I'm no longer bound to eating certain foods. I'm no longer bound to washing my hands specifically. I'm no longer bound to if I break this of my neighbors, I have to pay this, this, and this. I'm no longer bound to these things. Why? Because the law makes you aware of your sin, and you can't get that sin off of you without the blood of lamb, without the the blood of bulls and goats. And even then, you can't get it off of you. All you can do is cover it. He said, "No, I'm dead to the law." He said, "And why? Because that we're under the law of Christ, that I may live unto God. Because we are Christ, we get to live a life free of bondage." He said, "I am." Uh oh. Crucified. Crucified with Christ. I nailed my flesh to the cross with Christ. I, cru- I, I took my flesh and by choice I nailed it to the cross, breaking the flesh's power over me through Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He said, I'm crucified with Christ, but yet I'm still alive. Did we hang on a physical cross? No. We hung on a, on a spiritual cross. He said, yet not I. He said, I live. And he goes, wait, I don't live. Talking about his fleshy self, his fleshy wants, his fleshy desires. He goes, no, it's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. It's Christ that lives in me. When I talk to you about crucifying your flesh, when I talk to you about circumcising your flesh i'm saying let you need to die to self and you need to let christ rise up and shine out through you your life is now in christ he said but christ he said no i don't live but christ liveth in me the life which i now live in this flesh in this physical body i live by faith of the son of god my life is not my own. My life belongs to him. He said, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. The life that I live, I live because the Son of God loves me and gave himself for me. Because Christ gave himself for me, I now on the inside have a I am now compelled on the inside to let Christ who now dwells on the inside of me shine out of me. My prayer every day is Father, less of me, more of you. Less of me, less of self, less of what I want, less of what I desire and more of you. What is my prayer? Christ, I want you to shine through me. And then he goes on and he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. It frustrates your pastor. And more importantly, it frustrates God. When God has given you his very own son to set you free from bondage, and by choice you willingly go back into the sin that Christ has set you free from. That's frustrating the grace of God. The last thing I ever want to do, Brianna is so sweet. She'll be texting me and she'll be struggling with something. She's like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to frustrate you. 
How much do you know? You, it's frustrating. You don't want you don't want to frustrate somebody, but we frustrate God when we purposely go back into the things that separate us from Him. One last thought, because we're running, really running out of time. We're out of time. Because Jesus died on the cross for us, we have a get out of jail free card. Yes. But we got to stay out of jail by choice. When, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our sins are washed away, and 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 we start out with a fresh new heart, and and a, and we're given a, a heart. We're take the heart of stones taken out, and we're given a, a new heart, a, a flesh, well, a, a warm heart, a heart for Jesus, a heart for the Lord. Right. But and we can and and we're gonna and we're not perfect, so we're gonna mess up. We're gonna make mistakes. So God made a way for that. He said, "He said, if you re, if you're quick to repent your sins, you'll be fine. I'll forgive it all, and it'll be, it'll be like it never happened." That's right. But here's the deal: the the more you the more you sin, so basically you could do whatever you want and ask for forgiveness. But but what happens is you harden your heart. Well, you can't just ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't wash your slate clean. You, well, you actually have to, have to repent, repent for it. Yes, you have to repent. But this is the lie that, 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 that people tell you, that, that, that Satan tells you, is that you can do whatever you want. But it's not true. Because the more you do it, the more you're going to harden your heart. Now, what does hardening your heart look like? Well, has anybody here ever smoked? Okay. The first time you smoked, did you not about cough your lungs out? The first cigarette you ever smoked. But after a while, you noticed that, that you could smoke it and you wouldn't cough anymore, Right. That's because you're hardening your lungs against the poison that is the cigarette smoke. The more we sin, we harden our hearts. We harden our hearts against the poison that is sin that will eventually kill us eternally. That's right. So That's right. you have to be careful. Not that, we're, we're, that is the fear that we're supposed to have is that we will harden our hearts and that we should avoid that at all costs. And that we should turn away from sin and never turn back to it. Yep. Because I don't want to see any of you end up poisoning yourselves to death eternally with sin. Glory to God. Glory we, to God. we need to keep our hearts tender towards the Lord and, and, and to re- be quick to repent for our sins. Because sometimes they're just honest mistakes. Yeah. But sometimes we do them willfully. And when we do, we're hardening our hearts. You ever notice that at, if you like to go barefoot like I did as a kid, when at the beginning of summer, the, the asphalt gets hot. and Oh, that hurts. But by the end of summer, you don't feel it anymore. Even though it's 10, 15 degrees hotter than it was at the beginning of summer, you don't even feel it. It's mm-hmm. because you've hardened your feet. It's the That's same right. thing with sin. That's right. You're hardening your heart. That's right. There's, there's many ways to compare this. And, and I cannot stress it enough. That the that you must turn away from that. Yes. You must turn away from that. Yes. Glory and you can because Jesus has made you able. Yes. He says, "I do not frustrate the grace of God." Colon. What will frustrate the the, the grace of God? For if righteousness is can come by the law. In other words, if you can obtain, obtain righteousness by the actions that you choose then Christ is dead in vain. 
In other words, if you could make yourself just, if you could make yourself right in your actions alone, then there was no point in Christ going to the cross. But Christ went to the cross to give you the power and ability on the inside to get your flesh into the obedience of God. And when you, when you reject, when you say, no, no, God, I can do it on my own. I don't need my spirit to help me. I got this Jesus. You frustrate the grace of God. No, we need Jesus. We need his mercy. We need his grace to walk out this sin-free life. We need it. Derek, if you'll come to serve the people. Tithes and offerings, glory to God. Well, we made it. We're started into Galatians. We're going to make good progress from this point forward because we got into it. We finally made it. Well, glory to God. There's only six chapters. Yeah, there's only six <laughs> chapters, and we got two of them down. So praise God. And I, as far as I know, we don't have to take any more detours. We can just get right into the Word and see what the Word says, and it's good. I mean, and Galatians is really good when you connect it with the, with the other four epistles. Well, Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. You pray. Glory to God. I'm just, I'm in the habit. <laughs> just throw it at me. All right. You got this. All right. Lord, we thank you for, uh, we thank you for this word. We thank you for spending time with us. We know that you were here with us and, and that you, that you, that you give us your wisdom and that you, you freely impart upon us and you reveal the mysteries that, 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 you, that are you, that are your truth so that we can become closer to you and so that we might, so that we might stand against the devil in the, to, in the hour that comes. That we will stand fast and we will not turn away and we will not harden our hearts but we will be true followers and doers of your word. That we won't just be hearers only but we will be doers. And we thank you, Lord, for leading and guiding us and giving us that wisdom and planting that seed in our hearts tonight that we might grow closer to you. That seed that will grow in our lives and bear fruit in our lives and the lives of those we come in contact with you because your word says we are to share. And we do share, Lord, because we know that everyone out there, no matter how hard they are, are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether they know it or not, they are. Thank you, Father. We thank, thank you, Father. Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for the seed that we sow. Satan, we command you to take your hands off our increase, release it, and let it go. Release and let go all the sevenfold return from everything that you've stolen in the past. Angels, go. Cause the finances, the, uh, the, the prosperity of every area of life to come. We thank you for, faith, for causing favor with man and God. And, Father, we thank you that your word is true. Your word is working as we sow our seed. We thank you that you bring an increase pressed down and running over, more than we could contain. And, Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. amen. Derek, you can serve the people. It's an honor to give. It's an honor to sow. We love giving. We love sowing. It's an honor. If you did not go listen to the live stream from Brother Randy, 